haven't been with us, uh, you won't know that we're in a series of messages leading up to Easter, uh, and uh, we've, we've entitled this, Journey to Jerusalem, Jesus' Date with Destiny. And we come to a place in the book of Luke where there's a turn, and it says in Luke 9.51 that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And he was heading for the very last time to Jerusalem where he would ultimately give his life uh, for us. And uh, so we've been uh, looking at some of the material in this section that is almost 40% of Luke's gospel is wrapped around this last time heading uh, from the north down to Jerusalem where Jesus would give his life. Thinking about Jesus' mission uh, and ours uh, Jesus came uh, with a, to enact a mission in this world, to establish a kingdom, to take for himself a people from, from every nationality, every tribe, every language group throughout the world, that they would join together as his people under his leadership and authority. And uh, that the news of Jesus would spread around the world about his saving power, throughout the earth, and that the desire would be that everyone would come to believe in him. Everyone would, would be, uh, be a part of his family. Now, Jesus was preparing to return to go back to heaven, and he had not completed all of his mission. And so he left the work of that with us. Uh, he delegated the mission uh, to us that we would grow uh, his church, his family, his, his kingdom, that we would be used by him to spread this around the whole world. And, uh, and uh, people uh, who are Christians, people who are followers of Christ, were given the task of taking and sharing that with others, who would yet share with others and continue that mission. So what was started by Jesus, uh, we are to continue on. In fact, the mission of our church um, is to lead people to know Jesus Christ and follow him passionately. Why we exist as a church is to help people understand who Jesus is and what he's done when he made a way for us to have a relationship with him so that we could know him, that we could be forgiven of our sins because he took our punishment on himself. And uh, that we would help people understand and lead them to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And to know Jesus is to have a relationship with Jesus. Just as we heard the testimonies this morning of, of three ladies who have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, through, uh, through faith in him and what he, he has done. And we're called to, to help people believe in Jesus through his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension, and to help people embrace him and follow him passionately. So week by week by week, we gather. We encourage people, if they have not yet uh, established that relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would do that and begin this journey, journeying with Jesus in, in such a way uh, that they would passionately follow him. Now, Jesus enjoyed incredible popularity. I mean, wherever Jesus was, a crowd gathered. Now, the things that he did, his teaching was, was 
just captivating. People were just smitten by him and, and, uh, and all of the miracles that he has done and all of the, the healings and, and the things in nature. And, and it, it was unbelievable. When people saw these things, they were attracted to him. And uh, his desire was to increase his kingdom and grow his followership. And, and uh, surely that would be realized with the, all the people that he amassed to himself. There was just one problem with Jesus. Jesus didn't always follow the script, the script that other people had for him. Uh, For all of his popularity, uh, Jesus betrayed a lack of understanding, well, good marketing. Jesus just didn't really get the whole marketing thing. It was all there for him to take. He just wasn't that good at it. Um, and, and, and just when things would go well and, and, and his popularity would swell, he would say something that would put people off or drive them away. And so Jesus would be teaching here with huge crowds and people were hanging off every word. It, it was riveting. And uh, Jesus would care for them and heal them and, and bless them. And on one occasion, he spent a whole day of ministering to them. And uh, everybody was tired. Everybody was hungry by the end of the day. And so uh, Jesus said, uh, listen, we can't let them go away like this. Let's feed them. But there were 500 men plus women and children, and they had really no resources. There were no stores you could go to or anything like that. And, and so um, Jesus did a miracle with five little buns and two little sardines, and he fed what could have been fifteen or 20,000 people, and, and everyone was totally full, and then there, was, there were leftovers as well. And things went so well with this, that in John 6, John tells us that they were ready to force Jesus, take him and force him to be their king. I mean, the popularity was off the chart. They said, this is the prophet. This is the one that was to come. This is the Messiah. This is the one. And we're going to make him our king. And what Jesus did was slipped away through the crowd. Jesus, what are you doing? This is an opportunity. Seize it. Seize the moment. And he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee in a boat at, at, in the evening and through the night. And what happens is they run into a bad storm and they're fearful for their life. And Jesus goes waltzing on top of the water out to the boat, scared them skinny. And uh, then he, uh, he allays their fears And the crowd figured, oh, they got away, and there they are in Capernaum. So we'll go and find them there. So they go and find Jesus there. And um, as Jesus talks to the crowd, he says to them this. He said, "Um, unless you eat my body, you can't have eternal life. They were like, what is he saying? And then he says, well, unless you eat my body and drink my blood... You can't have eternal life. I think the disciples are going like, Lord, ixnay with the eat my body and drink my blood stuff. That's not playing well with the crowd. And, and, and so what happens is the people are kind of off-put. What does he mean by that? What, what are we supposed to? Are we supposed to eat his body? or what? And, and they found it offensive. And so a number of them said, 
this isn't, this isn't for, us, for, for us. It's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And we read then that many disciples turned away from him. In droves they left him. Jesus would turn to his own disciples and say, what about you guys? Are you going to? No, Lord, you have the words of life. We're, we're, we're not leaving you. Jesus, what are you doing? You had a chance to make your mark. They were there. They wanted you to be king. All the rest of that. And in John chapter 7, it's interesting that Jesus, you know, Jesus had half-brothers and sisters, right? Um, they, had, they had other, uh, he had siblings, and a couple of his brothers were there, and it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles. And his brother said to him, yo, bro, um, you got to go to Jerusalem because nobody does this stuff in, in, in secret. You've got to go and make a show of yourself. All these miracles and things that you're doing, you've got to do that down there. And he says, your timetable isn't mine. You guys go. And he didn't go with them. He missed yet another opportunity um, to, to be somebody, to be that figure and show off. And Jesus goes later at his own time for his own purpose. We read this morning about the rich ruler. Uh, we, uh, Keisha read for us. And here's a guy with a sincere question. Hey, Lord, um, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I have to do to be in a right relationship with God? How, how, can, I be, how can I go to heaven? How can I be part of your kingdom? How, how can I be part of God's people? And Jesus answered him. Um, it, almost sounds, it almost sounds a little insulting. I, I'm not saying it was insulting, but he said, Good teacher, how do I do this? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? There's nobody good but God. Hey, Lord, aren't you God? Yeah, but... He doesn't recognize that. Only God is good. Don't, you know, don't, don't try and butter me up or anything. And so what do we do? Well, he says, well, you know the commands. And so Jesus lists off some commands, you know, good things like murder and adultery. And yeah, things I think, yeah, no, never murdered. No, I'm, and, and so the guy's able to say, hey, ever since I've been a kid, I've obeyed the commandments. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. And, um, and so the disciples are thinking, this is cool. We could use a guy with his resources. We'd stay in better hotels. We'd eat at better restaurants if this guy was a part of our, our group. And then Jesus kind of messed it up again. Um, Jesus uh, says to the rich young ruler, um, you know, okay, that's good. So what you need to do now is go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he was sad because he couldn't do that because of his riches. Jesus says how hard it is to, for, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. i got to think the disciples are saying... Lord, you have never told anyone else they had to sell everything they have and come and follow you. What are you doing? This guy, we want this guy a part of our group. We want this guy to be with us. And Jesus just kind of messes it up. And the guy goes away sad. What about the religious leaders? I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't really understand how to work in terms of politics. 
the things that you have to do to get ahead, to be politically savvy, to garner support from the influential people, from the moneyed people. You know, you need that kind of support. And Jesus hangs around with poor people and bad people and sinners and all of that kind of things. And, and on top of that, Jesus alienates the leaders. He, he, you know, are, are you serious, Jesus? You guys are hypocrites. You're self-promoters. You're blind guides. You're fools. You're poisonous snakes. You're whitewashed tombs. Yeah, that's really, that's really working. <laughs> so they want to kill him. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? He alienates them all. There was no, there was no savvy, there was no public relations kind of good thing. Jesus bake, breaking all of the rules. And he didn't seem to care. And he spent too much time with the wrong kind of people. How's he going to build his church? How's he going to extend his kingdom doing the kind of things that he's doing when people are willing to be a part of his kingdom? But he has a plan and he's a program. And it may seem counter to what he was trying to do, but Jesus knows what he's doing. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem where he will meet uh, his date with destiny where he will die on a cross. And so Jesus is confronted as he's in this journey mode of going from the north down to Jerusalem. And uh, in this, he, uh, he addresses the crowds. In, in fact, uh, it says loud, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He still had that magnetic uh, whatever it, he had to draw people to him, and he's traveling, and and they're following him and traveling along with him. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to stop and say, okay, I'm going to now uh, speak to this crowd. And this is kind of a turning point in Luke's gospel, in in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 and following, uh, because he's going, this will be the kind of the last time that he really is focusing on the crowds and more headed toward preparing his followers for his departure. And so he's going to be traveling, and uh, he turns to the crowd and he talks to them. And uh, he has this captive audience. And the theme that he wants to talk about is this. What does it mean to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a follower and a passionate follower to be a part of that mission, that, that, uh, that kingdom that he was setting up. And, and so uh, this, is, this is what he wants to talk about. And there are three uh, expectations that he has for followers of Christ. And the first of these is this. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my children, you need to put God before family. You need to put God first in your life over and above family. Well, that sounds pretty easy, is it? Um, so, so Jesus, here's what he says to them. If anybody comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. He's doing it again. Why is he doing that? Why don't you stop that, Jesus? Don't you know this is not helping our cause? 
How can you tell people to hate their father and mother, their wife and husband and their kids and, and all of that? This, uh, how, how, that? That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work, Lord. And uh, Jesus is doing this outlandish stuff again. And is Jesus kind of convoluted? Has he lost it? What, what is he saying here? Well, does he really mean that we're supposed to hate all those family members and, and that kind of thing? How do we understand it? Well, I want to suggest to you that that hate is not a literal hate. Um, it, it's more of a rhetorical device. In, in fact, what he's saying is talking about priorities. That your big priority needs to be God, not your family. And uh, besides, uh, it, would, it would violate what the Bible and what God and what Jesus have said all along. For instance, God is love. And we're supposed to love because God is love. We know love because of God's love. And, and, uh, and, and what about this? Weren't we told to husbands love your wives? Weren't we instructed in the Old Testament and the New Testament to love our neighbors? Um, aren't we told to care for our family, honor your father and mother? And, and Timothy would tell us in 1 Timothy 5.8 that if you don't care for your family, you're worse than a non-believer. Um, and, and, and how about this one? Love your enemies. So Jesus can't be meaning now overturning all of that body of work about love and saying, no, now, you know, hate your family. What he's saying is, I want your love for me to be so singular um, that everything else pales by comparison. So that your love for me, your commitment to me, uh, will overshadow and, and it, will not be, uh, it will not be trumped by the love that you have for family. Put God above family. As a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, make God first. The first century uh, Jews would really understand this whole thing. Because when they became believers in the way, the Christian way, they often had to pay a pretty high price for that. Uh, they, they, would, they would be, in many cases, excommunicated from their families. They'd be thrown out of their families. We, we just treat you as you, you, you're not a part of our family anymore. We, you have died to us. When I was a teenager, uh, um, one of the guys in our youth group uh, brought a friend out to our, well, we called it a youth group. Back in those days, it wasn't as, it wasn't as fancy as we have now. But this guy came out and uh, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His father was um, a... Um, a Jewish man, he, came, he was a, a Jewish, it was a Jewish family, and his father was one of the uh, kind of uh, real estate magnets in, uh, in our city, owned all kinds of property. And when he made this fall, decision to follow Christ, he had major pushback from his family that kicked him out of the house. Um, a friend of mine, uh, had his uh, there was a girl who came to our church and and my my friend um, actually ended up marrying this gal. She came from a home that where Jesus Christ there was no place and no room for Jesus Christ, and God opened her heart. She put her trust in Jesus, and her parents kicked her out of the house at sixteen for becoming a Christian. 
I mean, it's hard to believe. But that's what happened. And in fact, an older lady uh, from our church took her in and she lived there and went to school. She's a, she's a, a pastor's wife now for many years and, and uh, dear friends of ours. But they had to pay a price. I, I had a woman um, uh, who was in one of my churches and um, I, I said to her, Jacqueline, um, what about baptism? You've trusted Christ. What about baptism? She, and she would just be so polite and put me off. And she did this, like, for a few years. And then her mother overseas died, and she said, I'm ready to be baptized. And it, what was, was her mother had a power over her that she felt she couldn't be baptized, it would disappoint her mother, and Jesus is saying, look it, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt people, but you've got to put me first. And, and uh, you've got to do, do that. Now, I, I, I have a brother-in-law, and uh, Gerda and I had the, the incredible privilege of helping her sister and uh, her husband come to faith in Christ. And um, um, he came from a Catholic family. And somehow his father was absolutely put off that they became uh, Christians. As they, they were baptized in the church. What's, what's the matter with that? And, but they made a commitment to Christ and to follow Christ passionately. And their, uh, their, uh, his father and mother, they wouldn't come and watch when the kids did something in a program. They wouldn't come. They gave the attention to the other children who weren't Christians. And it was so painful to watch. He just passed away this past year. And uh, my brother-in-law had a chance to say to him, Dad, you know, I, he shared the gospel with him for a last, a last time before he passed away. But it costs something sometimes. Uh, and, and Jesus said, look it, don't put, don't put family above God. Um, I, I had a, a difficult situation in one, one church situation. There was... Uh, a member of our church that was absolutely out of line in what he was doing and, and the kinds of things that he did in the community and in the church and how he heard it, he hurt the testimony of Christ in the church and it, it got so bad that we had to deal with it. But there were like a number of families of the same family in the church. And sadly, and, and instead of receiving that rebuke and supporting the church, when we had to... Uh, deal with this situation. The family, it's like blood is thicker than water. And they supported the wrong behavior of a family member. And Jesus said, look it. You don't put family above me. Um, you put me first in your life. Um, sometimes we see a, a young person and they, they want to go to the mission field. And mom and dad say, look it. We don't want to miss our grandchildren growing up. We don't, you know, you need to get a good job where you can care for yourself. Why would you do that? And, and, um, and Jesus says, don't let family put, uh, uh, keep you from following me and doing what I want. Well, secondly, he says, um, uh, let me go back. He says, uh, put, put God first before suffering. Put God first before suffering. 
He says this, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't pick up their cross and follow me. What is he saying here? Um, He's saying that it's going to cost you some time if you follow me. And I just got to, I just stop the crowd and say, look at guys, if you want to keep going on this journey with me, you know, you can't let your family be more important than I am. And you can't uh, let, you can't let suffering or the thought of suffering keep you from following me. Now, there's, um, there's teaching, there's teaching in, in Christianity out there that is faulty teaching that says, you know, what God wants for you is that you would be uh, very prosperous financially and materially, um, that, that you would have a life where you wouldn't have pain, that there wouldn't be difficulties and trials and struggles and sickness and all the kinds of things that people deal with. Because, because if you're God's people, God will protect you and, and he has all of this kind of thing for you. And so you, what, what, if you're going to follow Christ, it means you'll have a, uh, a kind of a life of comfort and ease and well-being and it'll be absent, absent from that will be struggle and pain. And uh, it's often called prosperity gospel. And Jesus didn't really experience that. Either did Paul, either did Peter, either did James and John and all these others. Um, in fact, there's a lot of warning that, hey, if you're following Christ, there, there are things that can be difficult in your life. Now, uh, Jesus had experience uh, and uh, he doesn't want to sell a false bill of goods. He, he wants to lay it out. And we're reminded at this point that he's going to Jerusalem, and he set his face to Jerusalem, and there he's going to die a torturous, terrible death, and he knows it. He knows it so well, but he keeps going. And he says, if you're following me, at times it's going to mean you're going to have to suffer. And... Um, you know, the cross isn't this pretty gold thing hanging around your neck. It's an ugly instrument of torture. And uh, Jesus was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was abandoned. He was uh, rejected. He was betrayed. Um, these people that I knew who followed Christ found out very quickly, if you're going to follow Christ, it can be that there's difficulty you have to face and trials and that kind of thing. If you're going to follow in the master's footsteps, be ready for some of that. In fact, in 1 Timothy um, 3, it says, everyone who wants to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That means it's not all roses, that there can be challenges and difficulties. And you can't say, Jesus said, I don't want you to say, I, I didn't tell you that. I want to warn you now that if you want to follow me, there can be these kind of things in your life. And you've got to count the cost. So in terms of counting the cost, uh, he gives us uh, two illustrations of what it means to count the cost. The first one is a building. It's a tower. And here's what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. When I was a kid, um, we had friends who lived uh, out in the country. And uh, 
on that road, there was a house that a guy started building. I remember his name. Strangely, I, I, I maybe saw him a couple of times only ever. His name was Yakko. Um, and he started building this house. And it was in stages of building over about a five or six year period. And I'm going like, this is, why doesn't he finish it? What's the matter with this thing? He'd have so much up and it would go a long, long time and a little more done. And, and, and uh, what Jesus said is, nobody goes out to do a building project and, and they don't know whether they've got enough money to complete it. And that becomes a monument uh, then to their own uh, lack of good planning and understanding and sense. And, uh, and, and so Jesus said, you don't build a tower unless you are sure that you've got the goods to finish it. He uses another example, too. He talks about war and a king. And in this, he says this. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a, delegate, a delegation while the other's still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He said, I mean, it just makes sense. You're not going to go without doing some work, some background work. And if you're going to get totally trashed, then you need to try and make a settlement before you do that. He said, it's the same way in faith. He said, you, you want to follow me? You really need to think about this because I'm going to be frank and honest with you. Here's what it means to follow me. And it means you have to put me ahead of your family and, and, and you have to be willing uh, to even uh, suffer at some point. And uh, so don't do this casually. Think through carefully what the cost is of following me and whether you really are willing to do that. Well, the third one is this. And the problem is putting God before possessions. He said, you can't do that. You can't put uh, through possessions. And so in Luke 14, 33, it says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Whoa. That sounds kind of like the rich guy, what he was asking the rich guy to do. He said, see, one of the gods of our age, one of the things that that really grips our heart and our soul is, is... material possessions and money it becomes an idol and and that that idol can replace everything god should be to us in our lives that god is our highest priority Uh, but our lust for money and our lust for material things um, causes us to love and cling to those things and love them and want them and put a higher priority on them in our life than a relationship with god and, well, is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to have things? And no, absolutely not. Some of the, some of the wealthiest people um, in the Bible were uh, followers of God and, and lived fully for him. Uh, you think of people like Abraham. Abraham was able to take five kings on with his, the servants that he had. Uh, when you think of David or you think of Job, who had more than anybody else, but it wasn't an impediment to him. Loving things and worshiping them and relying on them and trusting in them and, and, and using the, those things are your sense of security instead of God. They're your sense of joy and delight and not God. They give you meaning for life and not God. And so he said, you, you need to understand uh, that... that 
you need to love me and be committed to me at a higher level than things in your life. And uh, the rich, he said, trusting in their riches um, will never will never come into the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus is dealing with Peter and James and John in one occasion. Uh, they're out fishing and they come in and he said, did you get anything, boys? No, we didn't get anything. We'll go out and drop the net here. Oh, Lord, we're the fishermen. We've been all night. There's nothing. But if you say, okay, we'll go. And then they about sink the boats with fish. And Peter falls before Jesus and says, I'm, I'm a sinful man. How, how did I dare doubt you? And Jesus said this, I want you to come and follow me because I want you to be fishers of men. And Peter and James and John left everything to follow him. They had a lucrative business. They had a big-time fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. They said, Dad, sorry, we got to go. You're going to have to hire some other people to take our thing. It's, it's what God wants of us. And then he, he, he says this um, in, a, in another illustration. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. In other places, we were, we were like salt. We were to be salt, something that has an effect on the world around us. But if we lose our saltiness, there's no effectiveness. We need to keep ourselves in that kind of place. And Jesus is calling us out to be genuine followers, passionate followers. He wants us to count the cost. He doesn't want us in church to pull some kind of bait and switch that we want to attract you in here with something else, but we have a different agenda. He's really upfront with this about what it is to be a follower of Christ. He, he wants you to be honest and think through what he's asking And Jesus was talking about the kind of faith that would profoundly touch your life. Sadly, so often what we, I think we see in Christianity is is this kind of, what what, what do I have to do to get in on the bottom level? Because I really, you know, the God thing is okay, and I want to go to heaven, but I I just, I, I really don't want it affecting my life too much. I like this nominal thing. I like to be able to check off in a box. What religion are you? Hindu or or Muslim or you know I'm Christian. I'm a Christian. I I can check that box or or to say yes I I I have a baptismal certificate or I've got it covered because spiritually yes I'm I I do attend sometimes at Unionville Alliance Church and and. That kind of nominal Christianity is something that Jesus never subscribed to. He didn't call that to. He he says, you need something that will reorient your total life and what you do and who you are and all the rest of that. Jesus called us to abandon ourselves and follow him passionately, fully. This This often tends to be more of the exception than the rule. And yet, the standard for Christ is the kind of self-sacrificing life that he calls us to in following him. 
Jesus is not a nice little piece of add-on for your life so that you have, I do have a spiritual component. Twice a year I go to church, Christmas and Easter. And so hand out the invite because Easter is one time when we call the C and E. Uh, Some people will come to church at that time. But Jesus is looking for something more. I remember one of our prime ministers a number of years ago said, you know, he was, he was a Christian, and, but he said, I don't let my Christianity impact how I live my life and in, in, in my political life. It's, it's a very private thing. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. Well, Jesus doesn't allow us that. He calls us to do something and then get more than a piece of fire insurance so we go to heaven. He wants something that will distinguish our lives. And so we may try to make Jesus more appealing. But that isn't what he wanted us to do. He wanted us to be honest with what he calls us to. And uh, not to market him better or to be less offensive. And we don't try to be offensive. But what Jesus calls us to can be offensive at times for people. But Jesus is satisfied with his program and calling us to his program. And calling people to follow him with reckless abandon. So where does it leave us? Where does it leave us in this whole thing of total surrender? Because I don't know about you, but I don't measure up the way I should always. And sometimes I disappoint myself and I disappoint my Lord greatly. Are, are we, should we just chuck it? We can't, we can't go any further. Uh, what Christ is calling for is too lofty, it's too high. Or do we live for him to the best of our ability and grow? Do we look back and see, you know, I, I've learned so much and I've applied it in my life and I've grown and, and, and I'm not who I used to be and I'm not who I want to be, but I'm on, I'm on that trail. And, and that's what God wants from us. We're not perfect. We're going to blow it. Um, one of the girls said, uh, quoting First uh, John 1, 9, that if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we keep going. And we plod on. And we do it because we love him. He knows our frailty. He knows that we, we uh, aren't that, uh, that good. And, and, and look at um, well, that's what he wants us to do, to learn and grow and just to be faithful and to, when we're wrong, to make it right and, and keep moving on in this process. Don't give up. I know it's discouraging at times. Don't, don't be discouraged. God will help us as we journey together, as we take the word of God and as the spirit of God takes us and empowers us. Is it worth it? Is, is it worth it? I mean, isn't he asking a lot? Is it worth it that we should follow him? Well, that was a question that Peter and, and, and asked the Lord. Uh, now that Jesus wrecked it and the rich guy left town, it, Peter said, hey, Lord, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. Is there, any, is there anything in this for us? And, and the Lord Wonderful, wonderfully said to him, you know, no one who's left home or, or family for the sake of the kingdom, you're not going to go behind. You will receive more. He says, now get this, in this age and in the age to come. You lay up treasure in heaven. You will enjoy it for all of eternity. But he says, don't, don't think that there's nothing for this time. 
Because there is. <laughs> to follow Christ is the most rewarding life going. And in one place he says, you know, you, you've, you've given up for, for uh, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. You're maybe alienated. He says, I'll give you, I'll give you tons of family. I can go to a, a number of places in the world and be part of a family. Some of you don't have family here, but God put you in this family. And they surrounded you with love and people who, were, who, who will um, track with you and help you and, and, and be your family. He said, I, I, I'll give you and I'll bless you with all kinds of things. And it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And frankly, Jesus' message is going to disinterest some people and drive them away. But for, I, I, can, I can just tell you, and, and, and so many people here can give testimony, there's no life like it. There's no greater blessing than to know your creator, be forgiven by him, accepted by him, and blessed by him. And, and uh, we're on a journey with Jesus. And before, uh, before honor is humility. And so we humbly travel with him through ups and downs and struggles, but he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and he gives us what it takes to go through this life and to step into the glory of what he has for us. And I want to encourage you in that. Keep on, keep on, and, uh, and don't be unaware of what Jesus has called you to and some of the things you may experience, but he is with you and will carry you through. Father, thank you for your instruction through Jesus to us. Lord, I pray for those who have been thinking about becoming a Christian and and struggling with it and working over this. And Lord, some of this sounds pretty tough, and I pray that you would help them to realize. <laughs> Lord, the disciples said, who can be saved if this, if this rich, moral-seeking guy can't be, can't be saved? Who can be saved? And you said, Lord, that with God, all things are possible. And that's why we're here. Because you opened our hearts and our eyes, and, and, and you caused us to come to you and to run to you and to embrace you. So, Father, I pray for those people that are are thinking about becoming a Christian. And I pray that your spirit will open their eyes and help them to take that step into the greatest decision that they'll ever make. And for some of us who are maybe struggling in our journey right now, Lord, I pray that you would just buoy us up and strengthen us and help us to know that you're with us, that you won't leave us, you won't forsake us, and that uh, you put those people around us who can help us as well. Lord, thank you for what you've done in us, and I pray that you'd help us to walk faithfully with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.